So it's a joy and a blessing. When I found out that this was going to happen, you know, my mind immediately started going to, man, what am I going to preach? I got one shot. This is probably the one time I'll ever get to preach on a Sunday morning. What am I going to preach? Because I love the Word of God, and all of it is awesome. And I just, my mind just starts filtering through all these different verses. I'm thinking, I could, yeah. can I just read the Bible? Why don't we just, we just marathon it, right? Bible in a day. Bible in the morning instead of Bible in a year. Um, but reality set in, and I realized with my schedule and time and everything, I couldn't do that. So that kind of made it real clear for me. So we're going to be in Psalm 84. It had to be something I had studied before, something that was near and dear to my heart. And so Psalm 84, if you know me, you're probably weary of me talking about it, and I apologize to each and every one of you, because I, I, I just, I mention it so often. It's a, it's a psalm that is near and dear to my heart. It's, God's really branded it on my soul, and uh, it's got a lot of mileage in my life, so I hope it will bless you uh, the way it's blessed me this morning. And blessing is something we all want, isn't it? Everybody here wants to be blessed. We all pray for blessing. We pray for blessing for ourselves. We pray for blessing for others. Um, And I think we usually have a pretty good idea what blessing looks like. I think if we polled ourselves and we took a a poll of Lakeside Bible Church, what does blessing look like? There'd be a lot of overlap in our list. We'd have a good list of blessings and there would be a lot of overlap in that. There's a famous story, a song you've probably heard from a a woman named Laura Story, and it starts off like this. We pray for blessings, we pray for peace, comfort for family, protection while we sleep. We pray for healing, for prosperity. We pray your mighty hand would ease our suffering. And that's a good list. It's a good list of blessings. There's certainly nothing wrong with desiring these things or praying for these things. I mean, they're all blessings, and we should be thankful for them. But today, I'm just going to show you in Psalm 84, uh, God has a little different list or adds to the list and defines blessing in a different way. It's a little different than ours. So let me read the psalm. I hope you're there. So Psalm 84. How lovely... Are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts? My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God 
is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. We love you, Lord. Sunday mornings are a gift from you. We're so thankful, Father, to be able to worship you together with others that you've also redeemed and just corporately sing your praises and fix our eyes on you. So, Lord, I pray right now as we uh, meditate on your word together that your spirit would come with power and open eyes that don't see, give new hearts to those who have a heart of stone that aren't born again, Father, and believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to forsake all else so that we would love you and worship you with our whole heart. Lord, I pray that you'd move in us this morning for your name and for your glory and for our good. And I pray in Christ's name, amen. So this psalm breaks down really nicely in uh, three sections. Three sections based off of the three declarations you saw in the word of God there with three times he said how blessed. Blessed are those who dwell with God. Blessed are those who have a devotion to God. And blessed are those who trust in God. So there's a sheet on the back. I didn't have time, honestly, to do all the application questions on the back, but there's going to be plenty of questions I will pose to you throughout the sermon, so maybe you can write those down. Just a little background, first off, as we dive in, it's unclear on who the author is. You see for the choir director on the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah, there are really good godly men that disagree whether it was David, whether it was the sons of Korah, whether it was somebody else who wrote it, another gatekeeper, so... I'm not going to go any more into that. We're just going to leave it there, and I'll let you know that good galley men disagree. It's unclear, so we'll move on. It's also unclear when it was written, the date. Some say pre-exile, some say post-exile. So again, because it's unclear and good galley men disagree, I'm not going to spend any more time on that either. But what I am going to spend some time on, a lot of time, I think I have too much material, honestly, but we'll see. It's clear that this is a picture of a pilgrim traveling to be with his king traveling to the temple to be with his God. It's a picture of a believer who has dealt with the difficulty of a fallen world, who has sacrificed and traveled long distances to be with his God. And so that's what we're going to focus on. The psalm is like a a lot of other psalms that are called the psalms of ascent. You can look in Psalm 120 through 136 to see psalms that actually have that in the title. And it means going up. And they would sing these songs to themselves. They would recite them as they made their trips to the temple for the three annual feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And then again, while they actually walked up the steps. Um, Now, these were people that had to travel a long distance. They didn't have Chevys and Fords and those types of cool things. They were on foot. They were on donkeys, camels, traveling long distances, long, hard, arduous journeys that they were making just to be with their God. And imagine also fighting all the elements of this earth and trying to get their food and their water just to live back then combined with our sinful flesh and how we respond to life's trials, making it hard as well. Jerusalem was surrounded by, uh, well, sorry, Jerusalem was a 2,700-foot climb. It was a, it was, they literally had to go up. So just think of the time and the effort and the energy invested to be with their God and the trip that they had to make to obey him, to meet with him there. 
So put yourself in their shoes. Envision living in BC times. You've traveled maybe hundreds of miles on your foot. All males are required to attend. Maybe you have family with you in tow. Imagine that, parents. Imagine life lived in caves and tents and scrapping for every bite you have to eat along the way, fending off the elements of nature over hundreds of miles, scrapping for every bite you have to eat. That's a possible background for this psalm. So let's look at the first section. The psalm starts, and this is the blessing of dwelling with God. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts. So the psalm starts out and it says, he's arrived. He's standing there. He's taking in the temple after his long journey and it's unlike anything he's ever seen before because there really wasn't anything quite like it. I mean, it was a massive structure and he says, how lovely. It's worded in such a way as to say, who can measure? Who can measure the loveliness of your dwelling? It's beyond measure. And it was a massive physical thing to behold, about 490 yards by 325 yards. To bring it home a bit, imagine just a typical BC house and that's what you knew, that's what you're surrounded by, that's what you saw every day, that's the village you lived in. And then you travel these hundreds of miles and see something like NRG Stadium. Or the Ast- I'm, I'm in awe of NRG Stadium here living in 2021. I mean, that's a massive, beautiful structure. Well, I mean, the temple was that plus for these people. The structure itself was a lovely thing, but it's not that. That's not the main point here. It's more than that. It's clear from this psalm, the rest of the psalm, the rest of scripture, that what was lovely about this dwelling place was that his God dwelt there. He loved the place because he loved the God of the place. To be near to his God, that's what made this so lovely. God had ordained to dwell with them and meet with them there. In the tabernacle, originally in Exodus 25, you can take, just take notes, I can't read all these scriptures, but Exodus 25 and verse eight and 20, 21, he says, I will meet with you there. Again, in the temple, he had ordained, I will meet with you there. Amazing, the very presence of God. Meditate on that a little bit, to be there and to see that. And we, as New Testament believers, have the spirit. It's better Psalm 1611 says, in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And that's what he was experiencing, the presence of God. And it's like coming home after living elsewhere as an alien in a fallen and wicked world. And he confesses them as Lord of hosts. And the word host is referring to angelic armies and divisions. It's basically just proclaiming his omnipotent power over angelic powers, his sovereignty over all. He's exalt, he is exalting God up high. He is his Lord. Verse two says, my soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. And he seems to look back now. He's arrived and now he's remembering back. And he remembers how it felt before he got here and how it felt on his travels here. And he says his soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. Have you ever been gone from somewhere or somebody for a long time and felt this? I love going on mission trips. It's a joy to go. 
I can deal with the dirt and the grime and no toilets and the weird food and weird people and weird places and all the uncomfortable parts that go along with that. But for me personally, I'm a wuss when it comes to leaving my wife and kids. I've just always been that way. Man, I love them so much. They're so dear to me. I love them and I can't bear to be away from them. And so when I go on mission trips, it's been a while, but when I've gone in the past and you go for a couple of weeks and you focus your mind on the job at hand and the, the ministry before you to honor and love the Lord, but man, you just can't wait to be home. Just can't wait to be home. And so I get on the plane and it's a 14 hour flight and you're just waiting and the anticipation builds and they're usually there in the airport and you're walking through the tunnel and the anticipation builds some more and oh, man, my, my heart longed and yearned to be with them. Or think about too, all these images we see of our soldiers overseas for a long time is being deployed and we thankfully get to see pictures and glimpses of this from time to time and they come home and they're reunited with their family and it's just such a beautiful sight. They longed and yearned to be back together again. That's the picture here. He longed and yearned to be with his God. Longing is a strong feeling or desire or, or hunger. It was used of Jacob when he was gone for 20 years after going to find a wife and he finally made it home. Yearned is a word that means to be complete or to come to an end or to be finished or to stop. And this is the cry of every true believer's heart, to be with his or her God. These words denote a, a vehement desire that even manis, manifests itself physically because some translations, your translation probably says that he fainted. He fainted for the courts of the Lord. With all of his being, from the very bowels of his being, his cry was, I want to be with my God. It's like Psalm 42, one, it says, as a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. It's not just the Lord. He says he longs to be in the courts of the Lord. This is where the believers, the Old Testament saints were. Unless you were a priest, you couldn't go beyond the outer courts. So he longed and yearned with all of his heart to be with his God in his house with his people. And now he has it. And after a long and arduous journey, he's there taking it all in. And like a New Testament believer who is filled with the Spirit, his heart and his flesh, it says, just erupt. Just erupt with songs of joy and with all of his being to the living God. And it says it's the living God. He's alive. The God who spoke you and the world into existence, he's alive today. The God who saved Noah and his family from the flood, he's alive today. The God who redeemed Israel and part of the sea, he's alive today. The God who raised up kings and put down kings and raised up kingdoms and put down kingdoms and all to providentially preserve the line of the seed of the woman who would come to seek and save the lost, which is you and me. The same God, he's alive now, today. And he is lovely and he is desirable and available to meet with you now, today, to all who will come. And we see that in the next verse. Look at the next verse. Verse three says, the bird also has found the house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. And so now he's 
there again, just taking it all in. And it's as if he looks around and he, he's just in awe. And he, he notices the birds that have made a nest up in the rafters of the temple. And he's fighting back some holy jealousy that even these birds get to live here. They get to dwell here. To be able to take up residence here, the birds even can do this in the presence of the Lord. One commentator made mention of the fact that the psalmist didn't envy those birds that were flying overhead, but the ones that had made a home there, the ones that had remained near God as a dwelling place, the ones raising a family there. The word bird there is also translated sparrow. Other translations use the word sparrow. And the sparrow wasn't a highly valued bird. There were very, very lightly valued and even a nuisance. Matthew 10, 29 says, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And verse 31 says, yet you are more valuable than many sparrows. There's a picture here that all are welcome. All are welcome here. Even the lowly sparrow is welcome here in the dwelling place of the Lord and has a home here. The swallow found a nest, it says, that bird was seen as a busy bee, um, always fluttering about, always on the move, looking for a warm and safe place, and yet this bird had nested there. It's a safe place, a peaceful place, an inviting place. It's open to all. The restless soul, always looking elsewhere, can find rest here. John 6 says he will certainly not cast out any who come to him. So are you here today and distant from God? Come to him. Do you feel like an outcast? You're not here. Come to him. It's open to you. Have you been told you are of little worth? Not here, you're welcome. Do you feel, maybe you feel unworthy? We all are. But the door is open. Maybe you've been searching high and low for rest, but it's here with God. Christ said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to your king and come to your God. It says, even near your altars. And again, he's exalting God up high with my king and my God. See, the psalmist had an intimate and personal relationship with him. He was his Lord. He was devoted to his maker and surrendered to him. There was no middle ground, no lukewarm, on-the-fence posture here. There's a full-throated declaration of who God is and his submission to him. And so, verse four, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. It's the first use of three blessed it's the man who dwells with God is blessed. It's the first of three uses of that word. Blessed is just extreme happiness. It's a heightened state of happy. Again, it's something I know you all want. When we see God rightly and we get a glimpse of his presence and his value and his glory, we can't help but praise him and we will be blessed and happy. We all choose every day. You choose every day between hundreds of things based off of what you think will make you happy. You make your choices based on what you think will be best for you at the time, or you make your choices according to what you determine will bring you the most happiness. Everyone wants to be happy. Nobody wants to be miserable. 
And in the depths of the wisdom of God, he ordered things in such a way that our happiness or joy, our fullest and best and biggest, choosing him. Maybe not in the short run at times when we're in the midst of a battle with our sin, but in the long run, it's absolutely true. One commentator noticed it's a glimpse of heaven on earth, ever praising the Lord as well as we'll do in eternity. Blessed are those people who dwell with their God, ever praising him. How blessed. You want heaven on earth? I do, in a sense. There's times where I'm like, man, just come, please come. Dwell with the Lord and praise him. Spurgeon said, some need to be whipped to church while here is David crying for it. No one needed to ring a bell to let him know it's time to come. He had a bell in his own bosom. So a little application on this first point. Consider your hearts, my friends, this morning and where you're at in this regard. As New Testament believers, we know that God dwells in us through his spirit. and We are God's temple individually and corporately. That's true. It's also true that he's ordained to meet with us in our times of corporate gathering on his day each week. We see that in Hebrews 10, 25, and in communion we just had, and in baptism, and in these things he's ordained for us, in times in his word individually and corporately, he's ordained these things to meet with us there. Is it a lovely thing for you to dwell with God and God's people in God's house? Is it lovely? Do you long for it? Do you yearn for it? Does it make your heart and flesh sing for joy? I'm sure that's true for some here and for others. Maybe you could kind of take it or leave it. Maybe work is more important. Maybe hobbies are more important. Maybe sports is more important. Maybe your kids' sports is more important. Maybe sleep is more important or leisure or rest or some other thing has gotten in the way of this for you. But notice here, my friends, there is a correlation for the believer between blessing and dwelling with his God. So if you want to live your blessed life now, love the Lord. Dwell with him, abide with him. He's living and lovely and king and his dwelling place is open for all who would come to him. No matter your situation or status or age or skin color or any other thing, it's open to all and blessing is found in him and with him. So come to him. And if you don't long for that and yearn for that, pray for that. Pray that God would make this true of your heart. And then pursue it with all your heart. Meditate on his word. Lord willing, as you take your mind and your thoughts and place them on him and things above, your heart will follow. Because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And that takes us to the second heading, which is blessed are those who are devoted to God. And verse 5 says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. And it's as if he remembers again, he thinks back to the journey and how he got here and what it took to get here. It was a hard journey, as we said. And he remembers the journey and the God's, remembers God's provision and the strength in it. And he says... How blessed is the man whose strength is in, is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. If God and dwelling with God is all a blessing we just discussed in point one, then blessed is the person who leans on God, who rests in God, who pursues God. Blessed is the person who sets the course of their heart to God. 
Blessed are those whose ambition it is to be with him and dwell with, with him. And notice it's in the inner man. It's in the heart. It's at the core of their being. Strength, if we take a, just a brief survey of the Old Testament, it says in Psalm 8-2, for instance, that God establishes strength. It says in Psalm 68-28 that God commands strength. It says in Psalm 68-35 that God gives strength. It says in Isaiah that he, I'm sorry, in Psalm 93 that he is strength. In Psalm 105, therefore, it says that we should seek his strength. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Because you know us, apart from him, we can do nothing. It's also cool. I had a good time seeing this in my study. Our good God is always setting up highways to himself throughout the scriptures. He's always setting up highways. I mean, come to me. Come to me. All. Come to me. He's setting up highways for us to come to him and for him to come to us. Isaiah 11 is one place where you can see that. God sets up a highway from Assyria for his people as he did from Egypt. Isaiah 19 is another place you can see this. God will set up a highway for the Egyptians and the Syrians to worship him, it says there. Isaiah 43 is another place. There's a highway for the Lord to come to us. Isaiah 62 is another place. God is seen clearing a way for his people to be with him, setting up highways all throughout the scriptures for his people. Come, just smoothing out the path. Come, come. Turn to Isaiah 35. That's one I want to read to you and not just quote. Isaiah 35. Listen to this. So sweet. So sweet. Start in verse 3. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. Say to those with anxious heart, take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come, but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. For waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water and the haunt of jackals its resting place. Grass becomes reeds and rushes and here it is. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it but it will be for him who walks that way and fools will not wander on it. No lion will be there, nor will any vicious beast go up on it. These will not be found there, but the redeemed will walk there. And the ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So sweet, so sweet. Highways all throughout the scriptures, come to me, come to me. Even in a worldly sense, 
When you are devoted to something, there's great strength there. Think of the Olympics going on right now and these athletes that have devoted their lives to this thing for years and years and years and the strength that they were able to muster up to reach their goal and make it there and compete. The greater the devotion or worth ascribed to something, the greater strength there will be tied to it. So a heart devoted to God cannot be stopped. A heart devoted to the Lord can't be stopped. Think of the Apostle Paul, for instance. Devoted man, devoted to the word, devoted to his Lord and all that he was able to persevere through, all the trials that he went through, all the times in danger and shipwrecked and beaten. But it said God's grace was sufficient for him and his strength was made perfect in Paul's weakness. The highway of Paul's heart was Zion, the city of God, and he experienced great strength from it. The psalmist says, blessed or happy is the man who is like that, whose desire and faith is in the Lord, because that kind of person can go through anything. That kind of person and the strength of the Lord and a highway to Zion in their heart can make it through anything and they light up even dark situations. And that's what it talks about next. Verse six, passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring the early rain also covers it with blessings. So again, he's remembering back to the valley of Baca on the journey to the temple. Baca can be translated weeping. It was a dry and arid valley on the way to the temple and traveling through it was hard and miserable and difficult. Water is vital, obviously, but it doesn't stop these people. It doesn't stop them from making the journey and it doesn't stop them on the journey. In addition to their attitudes, in addition, sorry, their attitudes and pursuit turn the tables on the situation. Not only does it not stop them, they flip the tables on the whole situation. These pilgrims with a heart for Zion and strength from the Lord and a great devotion and anticipation of being with their God, they turn the dry valley into a spring, metaphorically. Flip it right around. We just read that in Isaiah 35, right? He's going to, God does that. Or a hard and difficult journey into one of joy. Joy even in the difficulty. Joy even in the hard journey. Joy even in the trial. The fellowship of the saints brightens any journey. And the destination of dwelling with God sweetens any labor. And God is faithful, my friends. God is faithful to provide for the journey as well. He also blesses them with an early rain. He provides. He provides through it all. It's not that the highway is all smooth sailing and no difficulties. Just the opposite. There are trials and troubles along the way. You know that. Christ said, in this world, you will have troubles. But the person in whose heart is a highway to Zion and whose ambition is to be with his king, has the Lord's strength to persevere. Christ said, take heart, I've overcome the world. There's a focus on the Lord for these people that reinterprets life according to the Lord and his truth and his promises. So there's a different way of responding to the trials that brings life instead of death. Same situation, but different outcomes for the blessed in Christ versus the one outside of Christ are not living for him. 
It's like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress who was on the way of the king. And there was nothing that was going to stop him from getting to the celestial city. And although he was in much trouble and weary and in danger many times, the longing of his heart was to see the celestial city with his own eyes and to meet his king. And from that, he drew the strength to carry on because God is faithful and will see you through. A little small example of this from when I was in Uganda last time, we were traveling through Uganda and the West Nile region of Uganda and the ungodly time of night, probably 2 or 3 a.m., just packed into a car like a clown car. I mean, it was, everything about it should have been miserable. But it was sweet. It was really fun. We were sharing testimonies and praising the Lord and singing worship songs. And, you know, it was just, I mean, we'd already traveled to Uganda. That's wearying enough now to be traveling in Uganda in the West Nile region in the middle of nowhere at 3 a.m. I'm just, good grief. You can't, you're like this. It would have been miserable if not for the fellowship of the saints and where we were going and what we were doing, the strength of the Lord. A bunch of hearts for the highway to Zion right there. And then guess what happens? We get a flat. No discount tires over there. What are you going to do at 3 a.m. in the West Nile region in the middle of Uganda, Africa with a flat? I don't know. But lo and behold, some UN trucks drive by us at 3 a.m. in the West Nile region in Uganda, Africa, and we had what we needed. God's so good. He provides. He provides. Psalm 91, 14 through 16 says, listen to this. I love this. Because he has loved me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him with a long life. I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. He doesn't say I'm going to keep you out of trouble. He says I'm going to be with you in the trouble. Psalm 37, 23 and 24 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord and he delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. A person in in whose heart are the highways to Zion has all the strength they need. And notice in verse 7, it says they go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. And I love this. This just keeps getting better and better. I mean, just look at this. I mean, it's so cool. The idea here is that strength continues and grows. It's enduring strength and increasing strength. It's the Lord's strength. So there's no exhausting it, right? It's infinite and available to his people. The trial tests us, sharpens us, grows us, and in Christ we persevere. And the next trial comes and tests us and sharpens us more and grows us more. And in his strength, through it all, we persevere. So you can say, in Christ, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, through him who strengthens me. It's inexhaustible strength, and it's at your disposal from our king. You get it from him. And then look at this, guys. I love it. Look at it. It's so sweet. Look, they all make it. 
Every one of them appears before God in Zion. Everyone makes it. Every one of them appears. They all, before, they all appear before God. They all get the desire of their hearts. It's awesome. God sees them through, providing his strength to any who long to see him. Nothing can separate this type of person from the love of God. Nothing. Apply, apply it to you. Apply it to ourselves. Are you weary? Are you tired? In Christ, you'll make it. Are you doubting? In Christ, you'll make it. Are you fearful or anxious? In Christ, you will make it. Are you in a trial? I know many of us are. I know you are. But listen, in Christ, you will make it. Don't live for here and now. It's too small a thing to live for. Live for God. Live for God in his kingdom and his glory, and that will be your strength and blessing and joy. And it's this perspective that will get you through the trials of life. You know, maybe, maybe you're here as one who has let other things occupy your hearts. Maybe you're here as someone and the highway to your heart leads somewhere else. Maybe, maybe there's something else more important to you that's drawing you away from this. Maybe you, you often miss these God-ordained times to meet with him and his people. And if so, I'm, I'm hoping you're starting to see what you're forfeiting. You're forfeiting the blessing of dwelling with your God and you're forfeiting the strength for the journey to him when you do that. So set in your heart a highway to Zion to dwell with your king and your God. Devote yourself to that and be blessed by his strength in the anticipation of appearing before God. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. And that takes us to our third section, brothers and sisters. This is the blessing of trusting in God. He says in verse eight and nine, O Lord of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. So we enter this third and final section and after arriving to the temple and taking it all in and after thinking back to the journey and what he's gone through now he just worships now he just praises his king and he acknowledges him again as lord of hosts the all-powerful omnipotent god and pleased with him to hear his prayer that he's come all this way to say in his presence one gentleman wrote here we have the nation's prayer for david and the believer's prayer for the son of David. Let the Lord look upon our Lord Jesus, and we shall be shielded from all harm. Let him behold the face of his anointed, and we shall be able to behold his face with joy. Our best prayers, when we are in the best place, are for our glorious king and for the enjoyment of his father's smile. I think what we're seeing here, guys, is the worship of, worshiper of God submits to and prays for the authorities God has set up. It follows that in our love for God that we would also desire blessing for God's anointed and the authorities God's put in place. 
over us. This is an obvious foreshadow, I think, of Christ and our, our mediator here and the ultimate anointed one. He is our shield and we pray God look at his face when he considers us. Another application, though, I think, is to pray for those who are our leaders. Pray for those in authority over us. And I'm pretty sure we'd be in agreement that's desperately, desperately needed in our world right now. Are you praying for our leaders? Pray for them. Verse 10. I love it. Like I said, it just keeps getting better. Look at this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I've lived, I lived 25 years on this earth before the Lord saved me and there were many good times in those 25 years and I would trade all of it to have known the Lord earlier. I wish I had been saved sooner, but in God's providence, he saved me when he saved me. This psalmist says that a day in the presence of God is better than a thousand outside, better than a thousand elsewhere. And it's really like seven times 70 in Matthew, you know, when he says, how many times should we forgive? It's infinity. I mean, you just, there's, there's no comparison. There's no experience on earth that will compare with being in the presence of the Lord. None. The psalmist says, if I can just be on the outskirts, on the threshold, if I could just be somewhere near you, Lord, it's far better than anything this world has to offer. God's worst is better than the devil's best. The lowest station in connection with the Lord's house is better than the highest position with the godless. You know, it may be cold out there, it may be dangerous at times, it may be uncomfortable in ways and at times, but it's light years ahead of being in the tents of the wicked because God's there. God's there. Psalm 26, 8 says, Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Psalm 27, 4 says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. That's what he wants, and Lord willing, what we'll want too. Because when you choose to disobey and dwell in the tents of wicked instead of abide with God and follow him and obey him and love him, you're really like the fool who would give $1,000 to receive one. Anybody here want to make that deal? I'll make it with you right now. I got a buck. No takers? Spiritually speaking, it's what we do. When we choose sin, when we choose to dwell in the tents of wickedness, when we choose to disobey our Lord, when we choose to follow after some other God, some other desire of our heart, you're the fool, I'm the fool who would give $1,000 for a dollar. And really, that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's really life or death, ultimately speaking. Life or death. There's a great illustration for this in Numbers 16. Go ahead and turn there. Numbers 16. Numbers <clears> 16. <throat> 
The psalm is written by or for the sons of Korah, as we discussed in the beginning. If we go back in their history, we see the backdrop for this. It was Korah's rebellion. So if you back up a little bit from 16 and 15, in verse 32, and I think we have time, so I'm going to go ahead and read more than I had planned on. Um, verse 32 through 36 Let's just go ahead and read it. Now, while the sons of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. Those who found him gathering wood brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, and they put him in custody because it had, had not been declared what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, the man shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with the stones, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then the Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations, and that they shall put on the tassel of each corner a cord of blue. It shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord. So as to do them and not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot, so that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Now this... Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action, and they rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation chosen in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, you have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Just pause there for a moment. It's heartbreaking. So you see that there is a transgression of God's law. God was just, but also gracious and merciful to give them reminders to not transgress going forward for their good. And we see some of the people respond to this contrary to the way the Lord would have them do that. Korah was a Levite. They were um, workers in the tabernacle, assistants to the priest, and he takes issue with Moses' leadership. Moses was anointed by the Lord. Moses wasn't acting on his own accord. He was following the Lord's command. And Korah resists him and starts a revolt. And in his pride and ambition and selfish desire and hostility towards God is what it is in his commands against his anointed. He's basically saying, I, I don't need a mediator. I can come to God on my own terms. And so can everybody else. Well, this isn't going to go well, as you can probably imagine. 
When Moses, verse 4, when Moses heard this, he fell on his face and he spoke to Korah and all his company saying, tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he will choose. He will bring near to himself. Look at verse 8. Then Moses said to Korah, hear now, you sons of Levi, Is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them and that he has brought you near Korah and all your brothers, sons of Levi with you? And are you seeking for the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. But as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? We'll fast forward in this story a little bit further. And where this ends up is at Korah's tent. In the tents of the two other wicked leaders... And they're swallowed up by the ground as the Lord chooses who is his and who is against him. And it says that Korah's sin ended up also costing the life of many of his family and all of his belongings, everything that was his. However, in Numbers 26.11, we read that God was gracious to spare his sons. He was gracious to spare his sons. And so, back to Psalm 84, my friends, the sons of Korah could testify with all their hearts and proclaim, it's better. It's better. Just one day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. In the tents of wickedness, Spurgeon said, God's smile in a dungeon are enough for a true heart. His frown and a palace would be hell to a gracious spirit. It's just, just give me the lowest position, Lord. Just, just let me be somewhere near you. I'll do anything, Lord. I just want to be in your house. It's better. It's better because for, he says, verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is a sun and is a shield, and God gives grace and glory. The sun is a picture of provision picture of him being our perfect provider. And there's spiritual and physical aspects of this we can meditate on. It's a great word picture. Nothing on earth lives if not for the sun. Nothing. The sun gives physically, it gives sight or light so we can see. Plant growth is dependent on it. Food supply is dependent on it. Water is dependent on it. It purifies, it disinfects, and on and on and it goes. With the sun, there is life. Apart from the sun, there's death. There's no life. Spiritually, 1 Peter 2, 9 says, he has called us out of darkness into 
his marvelous light. Acts 26, 18 says, Jesus sent Paul to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. The apostle Paul, sorry, John says, Christ is the light that shines into darkness and that enlightens men who are stumbling around in the darkness. Physically, nothing lives if not for the warmth of the sun. You know the truth. If we were just small fractions closer to the sun, we'd burn up. And just small fractions further than the sun, we'd freeze up. But we're in the perfect place in relation to the sun to have life and life abundant. Spiritually, we go from cold hearts of stone to new hearts of flesh. In him, we go from a cold corpse to alive in Christ. And on and on we could go and meditate and think about ways in which he is a son to us, his faithful provision for us in every way, every way. And notice he's not just the light from the sun or the warmth from the sun. He is the sun. He's not just the manifestation of these blessings. He is the blessing. He is our blessing, the source of all blessing. He is our blessing and the source of it all. Everything you have is from him. As James says, every good gift comes from him. Isaiah 60, 19 through 20 is a, a sweet text as well. It says, no longer will you have the sun. This is looking at the glorified Zion, the, the kingdom to come. No longer will you have the sun for light by day, nor for brightness will the moon give you light. But you will have the Lord for an everlasting light and your God for your glory your sun will no longer set, nor will your moon wane, for you will have the Lord for an everlasting light, and the days of your mourning will be over. He's a sun. He's also a shield. And this is a picture of protection. Again, we can think of spiritual and physical examples. I'm 45 years old, and I should have been dead long ago. There are many times I should have died. Can you guys think back in your life and have... Anybody else have those moments where you, I should have, yep, I should have died there, I should have died there, I should have died there. I, I don't know how many lives I'm on, more than nine, I'm sure. I can think of many relationships and conflicts and scenarios in my life that he protected me from. Can you? And these are just the ones I'm aware of. There's so many more I don't even know about. It's like our young children gleefully playing and oblivious to all of life's dangers as we save them time and time and time again. It's coming, Jacob. That's you and me daily with our Lord. Spiritually, the same applies. We deserve death now. And yet we live. In Christ, he has shielded us from his wrath that we rightly deserve. He surrounds us with protection perfectly in Christ. Psalm 91 again says, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Psalm 512 says, for it is you who blesses the righteous man, O Lord, you surround him with favor as with a shield. Psalm 33 says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Nothing will separate us from his love. He has redeemed us and promises to complete what he began, to keep us to the end. Perfect 
protection. So he gives also. He is a sun and shield, and he also gives. He gives grace. All that we have are gifts. All that we have is from him. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, it was quoted this morning. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? There's nothing you have that wasn't given to you by him. It's undeserved from the next breath you take to your redemption in Christ, from the least to the greatest. It's all undeserved, all grace, all given freely. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? We're the prodigal sons. We're squandering, sinful, wasteful, dishonoring, undeserving of anything from the Father, and yet by his grace, he gives us light to see. We see and we come to our senses, it says the prodigal son did. And by God's grace, we have a heart of flesh that replaces a heart of stone. And by God's grace, we come to him. And by God's grace, we repent and believe. And by God's grace, we have his son and his shield as provision and protection all given to us by him. He is a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And he also gives us glory. I mean, this should just blow your mind that you and I would get any glory given who we are in and of ourselves. But God does that. He bestows glory on those whom he's redeemed. He's actually bestowed glory on you if you're here in Christ and will bestow glory on you, going from darkness to light, from enemy to sun, from death to inheritance. We who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ and are now part of God's household. And eventually his grace will consummate and us being raised up with him in glory through Christ. Romans 8, 17 is the text here. We are children, or sorry, if we are children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Unbelievable. The prodigal son, again, was restored back to an honorable place, though he wasn't worthy of it. The father ordered them to quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, he said. Put sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate. We don't deserve that. That's what our gracious heavenly father gives. Grace and glory. Prodigal son was honored. That's a picture of anyone here in Christ. He gives glory. Matthew Henry writes, God will give them grace in this world as a preparation for glory and glory in the other world as a perfection of grace. And so, brothers and sisters, with all that being said, is it any wonder that the next part says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly? No good thing. It's amazing, amazing truth. No good thing will he withhold from you in Christ for those who walk uprightly. Psalm 85, it's not just here. Psalm 85, 12 says, indeed, the Lord will give what is good and our land will yield its produce. Psalm 34, 10 says, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And Luke 11, you remember this. If you then, being evil, 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He doesn't withhold anything good. Wrap your mind around that. Meditate on that. Marinate in that. It's just an unbelievable truth. He doesn't withhold anything good from you. Have you hoped for something or prayed for something or asked for something that the Lord hasn't given you? Will you take God at his word based off of this truth and believe if he's withheld it, then it's not ultimately good for you. He only withholds bad from you if you're in Christ. This God who is, just remember back through the psalm what we learned, he's lovely, he's inviting, he's living, he's safe, he's welcoming, he's imparting strength after strength, he's providing, he's protecting, he's giving grace, he's giving glory, he's also all present, just the attributes of God, he's all knowing, he's all wise, he's all powerful, he's perfectly good, holy, do you really think he'd withhold good from his children. He wouldn't. Granted, granted, to your perspective and my perspective at times, it's hard to understand. It's hard to see. We don't know why what looks good to us is withheld. So in that moment, let me ask you, how are you going to respond to that? What are you going to do about that? How are you going to interpret that? We're all interpreters. We're constantly interpreting life. You're constantly interpreting your circumstances and your situations. How are you going to do that? How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to sit in judgment on God as if he's not all the things I just read to you? As if he doesn't know what he's doing? As if you have superior knowledge and wisdom and goodness? Job did that for a time. In Job 40, God asked him, will you really condemn me that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Job ends up, a couple chapters later, (laughs) responding with, I repent, and dust and ashes, and confess things and declare things that I did not know and did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Romans eleven thirty three through 36, I'm sure you know it, but listen to it. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who is first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him And to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Remember, we often define good differently than he does, obviously, right? Based on our desires. We often have highways in our hearts that lead some other place. And it leads to destinations and goals that are contrary to his. And so we get cross-threaded with our king. 
We're on different pages at odds with him. But that verse that we quote to ourselves all the time, and I don't know if we fully grasp it and believe it and hold on to it like we should, but we, we, we quote it. We say, he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because right after that, it says he's conforming them to the image of his son. That's God's goal. That's God's will. That's what he's after. He's conforming people to the image of his son. So in any situation, especially in moments of disappointment or unanswered prayer, we can rest in knowing either it wasn't good for us or perhaps we weren't walking uprightly. I don't want to get confused here. This isn't a works thing, a work salvation, a pay-to-play type of thing. I don't want you to walk away thinking that. It's not that. Up, ultimately, uprightly here, I think, is talking about his people, born again in Christ. He withholds no good thing from you if you're in the Lord. No good thing. But in a secondary sense, we do receive discipline from the Lord, right? We do sin and experience consequences from our sin. There's a verse in Jeremiah 5.25 where it says, you're in, God's saying to Israel, your, iniqu- your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have withheld good from you. But for the believer, even those times are good. He's sanctifying you. He's purifying you. He's making you more like his son. That's good. Grab hold of this truth, brothers and sisters. It's a promise. Grab hold of it. Are, I don't know if you're, if you're here hurting today. Are you disappointed? Are you struggling with some circumstance in your life? How does God's word here apply to it? Be encouraged. That's my heart, my hope. I hope you leave here just so pumped up about our amazing God and encouraged with his truth for your life today. If you're his and you're following him, you love to dwell with him? Is your heart a highway to Zion? If so, he's promised to withhold no good thing from you. Praise God. The only one for whom this promise doesn't apply is for those who haven't been made upright, who don't know him. By grace, through faith, The promises of God don't don't apply to those who've rejected him. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, if you've rejected God, if you are doing your own thing, come to him. Come to him today. Come to him now. It's open. It's safe. It's good. It's better than a thousand of your days outside. It's life and death. Literally, life and death. Ultimately, because you will meet him one day. You will answer to your maker and you will bow the knee. So come to him. Come to Christ. Believe. Spurgeon said, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken, and when you cannot trace his hand, you can trust his heart. So brothers and sisters, What is our response to this supposed to be? Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. 
How blessed is the man who trusts in you. Rely on him, believe in him, rest in him, put your confidence in him, follow and obey him no matter what. This is what it means to trust. Dwelling with him will entail time sometimes when you're missing things that you want. Something's withheld where you feel like you're just dwelling on the outskirts at times, you're outside. But trust him. Remain there. It's better. It's better than the alternative. He's a sun and a shield. He gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Hang there. Trust him. You're blessed there. You'll go from strength to strength. And again, remember one of my favorite parts of this song. You will make it. They all make it. You will make it. And you'll be ever praising him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. And the cool thing, we don't have to wait for a festival for this. It's available to you right here, right now in Christ. Every day can be a day in his courts, abiding with him.